بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد نسلی علیہ رسول الکریم امباد الحمد للہ جنائی از دا ٹوینٹی ففتھ آف جنوری ان دی ایئر I was describing somewhat the glorious name of our exalted Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ash-Shakur. So another one of the great names of the Almighty and glorious subhanahu wa ta'ala is As-Sattar, i.e. the concealer. So the Tabba Tabi'een, Sufyan ibn Uyayna, rahmatullah alayhi, he said, were it not that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala covers, i.e. our faults, I, due to shame, would never sit with anyone. This is recorded in Behaki in his Shu'ab al-Iman 4-123. So, this man is from the Taba Tabi'in. He's from the era of Imam Malik, Imam Shafi, Imam Ahmad. And he's saying, that if Allah the Almighty didn't hide my sins, cover my failings, because I, would, I wouldn't be able to show my face. I wouldn't be able to sit in any gathering. So what was he highlighting? He was highlighting this great name, As-Sattar. Allah Ta'ala covers our shame so we can function. The great Ibn Mas'ud, he said to his legion of students, if you knew my sins, then not even two of you would follow me. If you knew my sins, then not even two of you would follow me. This is in Hakim in his Mustadrak, Sahih, Zahabi, Sahih. So again, now you go to the companions, senior companions. And he told his students, Allah Ta'ala is covering my sins. If you were exposed to my sins, not even two of you would follow me. So again, what was the great Ibn Masood highlighting? He was highlighting the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So just imagine, for instance, hypothetically, wherever you went, the people were fully conversant with all your sins. Where would you turn? And who would you dare even sit with? In addition, How many times does one see an individual exposed for just one of his endless failings? Then see how embarrassed and shameful that individual becomes, often leaving the country due to shame and embarrassment. And this is just the exposition or the exposing of one of his faults. Think about that. So he's gone out of the domain of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He covers all our faults subhanahu wa ta'ala is now entered the domain of the creation, is leaked out, for want of a better word. Look at the person. Is he the same person? Where is he gone? What's happened to him? Because, and then people talk, they like gossiping. You know, we always knew there was something wrong with him. So stay away, what happens? Sometimes he even changes his identity. Goes to another country, changes his name. All because of one failing, which has been exposed. So use that as a gauge to the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is as-sattar subhanahu wa ta'ala, i.e. the concealer. 
So how can we ever thank Allah Ta'ala enough for this blessing? Notice yesterday I was talking about Ash-Shakur, the one of Ta'ala, the one who is ever grateful, i.e. when you help yourself. Now he loves to cover your failings. So again, this is his greatness. And also this is important in terms of praise. Because whenever somebody praises you, it's because of some good they've seen in you. But you can counter that by saying, would that person have praised you if he had known any of your sins? So think about the last time somebody praised you. MashaAllah, brother, MashaAllah. And then just think, at that point when he praised me, think of one of the sins in the closet. If he had known that, what would have happened? That wouldn't be praise. He'd be repulsed by you. So this is why praise really only belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. doesn't belong to anybody else. And that's why the Quran opens with Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. All praise is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Lord of everything that exists. Why does Allah ta'ala say that in the opening of his book? In the beginning of the greatest surah? Why did he mention that right at the beginning? Because nobody deserves praise. In fact, the Prophet ﷺ, he said, La uhsi thana'un alik. You are as you have praised yourself. I cannot praise you enough. In Sayyid Muslim. So the Prophet ﷺ said, I can't praise you enough. You are as you have praised yourself. So a person goes, why can't we praise him enough? And he goes, look at his names. Just the name as sattar how great is his name. All praise belongs to him. In fact, this beautiful du'as. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he, uh, there's a report in Ibn Hibban, authentic, and he taught us that if you are praised, you should say, Allahumma la tu'akhidni bima yaqulun, waghfilli ma la ya'lamun, waj'alni khayram mimma yadhunnun. O Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, do not hold me to account for what they say. Forgive me for what they do not know. And make me better than what they assume. Subhanallah. What an amazing dua of the Prophet So you're praised. And how is our response to the praise? We don't say thank you, mate. You're supposed to say this. Do not hold me to account for what they say. Meaning, they shouldn't be praising me. Don't hold me to account for that praise. Make me better than what they assume. Forgive me for what they do not know. In other words, if you expose my sins, they wouldn't be praising me, but forgive me for that, because they don't know my sins. And make me better than what they assume, meaning they praise me. I'm asking you to make me better than what they think I am. And this is an important dua, essential dua, which I keep mentioning, but I don't want to put you on the spot. Have you learned it yet? No, but better things to do, mashallah. Right, so note again, you know, these are gifts given by the Prophet The companions, one of the Tabi'een said, I saw countless Sahaba mention this place. Mm-hmm. Countless. Mm-hmm. Because I approached one companion and I heard him make this dua. I approached another Sahaba, he made this dua. So the ones who you could argue probably didn't need this dua, they're making it. And what about us? Right? Think about that. We don't make it. So what is that telling you? We're in a bad state, very bad state. And it all goes back to our connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, i.e. knowing His greatness. 
And all of this is related to as-sattar, i.e. the concealer. Let alone grieving over the sins, we walk around and give the impression to others as if we are angels. He goes from bad to worse. If somebody goes to you, why are you praising shaitan for? And then he goes, oh, you must be a pious person because you're saying you're shaitan. And he goes, at again, I brother. He goes, don't praise me. <laughs> but are we angels? That's why a diseased heart, it likes praise. But interesting, the pure heart doesn't like it. The pure ones hated praise. They throw dust because they praise somebody else. The monafics, they can't get enough of it. Let alone cameras rolling. <laughs> That's another level. So now, this is again our connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. On the subject of tears, it is related that Sufyan ibn Uyayna, the same uh, great personality, he would hold back his tears rather than let them flow. So he had this habit. He was very tender-hearted, but he controlled his tears. So he could see, they see his eyes well up, but he wouldn't like shed tears. So why did he do that? So somebody approached him. In Abu Na'im al-Hidiyah 7-299, Mansur ibn Ammar, rahmatullah, he said, I once spoke in a gathering in which Sufyan ibn Uyayna, Fudayl ibn Iyad, and Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak, rahimahumallah, were present. As for Sufyan ibn Uyayna, rahmatullah, I noticed his eyes began to well up, but then the tears dried without him shedding any. As for Ibn al-Mubarak, his tears flowed. And as for Fudel, he wept profusely. When Fudel and Ibn al-Mubarak left, I approached Sufyan and I said, what prevented you from doing as your companions did? He answered, this is even greater in sorrow. For when the tears emerge, the heart takes rest. This is even greater in sorrow. For when the tears emerge, the heart takes rest. Let's look at this. So who are these people? Sufyan ibn Uyayna, Taba Tabi'in. Fudayl ibn Iyad, Imam Shafi's teacher. Some say he's Tabi'in. Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak. Uh, so they're all from the Salaf, the very famous personalities. So, who's speaking? Mansur ibn Ammar. We don't know what he was talking about. But Mansur ibn Ammar, his talk affected all three of them. Ibn al Mubarak, he was weeping. For their ibn Iyad, he's weeping too much. The one who was strange was Sufyan ibn Uyayna. His eyes welled up, but then they dried. So Mansur approached him. He goes, why didn't you do what your companions did? His response is very interesting. This is even greater in sorrow. For when tears emerge, the heart rests. So what does it mean? 
it means he did not want to leave the state of sorrow. He goes, I want to stay in that state of sorrow and grief. If I shed tears, I come out of the sorrow and grief. When one grieves, one naturally feels closer to who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Thus, it was for this very reason that Sufyan ibn Uyayna would hold back his tears out of veneration. So this is another level, right? If you notice, their whole objective was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That was their life. They're thinking, how can I get closer? How can I please him? How can I, you know, aspire to get better? This is one way. Stop, stop shedding tears. He goes, hold the bike. What's the purpose of that? Isn't it better to shed tears? If you shed tears, the grief goes. And then you get, you actually even feel it immediately. You don't feel as close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Sufyan was had that habit, you just keeping his tears in. Why was he wanting to be in that state? Because in a hadith in Hakim, the report says, Allah the Almighty and Glorious, He is very close to the one whose heart is broken. Allah the Almighty and Glorious, subhanahu wa ta'ala, is very close to the one whose heart is broken. So if you are near and close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, do you want to leave? No. So what's one of the ways to stop you from leaving his presence, his intimacy? And that is not to shed tears, to control the tears. If you look at the companions, once a companion was reciting the Quran, everybody wept, except Sayyid al-Muslimin, Abdul Rahman ibn Awf, upon which our beloved messenger said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, his heart weeps, his eyes do not. His heart weeps, his eyes do not. So what's going on? The other companions were weeping. Fine. Sayyid al-Muslimin wasn't. So on the face of it, it looks like he's not as strong. You know, you get the impression maybe he wasn't affected by the Quran as much as the other Sahaba. Big mistake. The Prophet then explained. He goes, he's actually weeping immensely. But he's weeping in his heart. He's not showing it in his eyes. So what was he doing? And Lord, he said, you don't study, you don't understand why people are doing this. Sayyid al-Muslimin, why was he called Sayyid al-Muslimin? The leader of the Muslims. Because we're supposed to emulate him. Somebody goes, I want to emulate Abdul Rahman ibn Awf. He goes, try to control your tears. Don't let the tears fall when you grieve. He goes, that's difficult, right? And he goes, well, you wanted to emulate him. Why did he do that? Because he knows that this brings you close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And also, very interesting, Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu he once saw people weeping over the Qur'an. And he then said to the people around him, we also used to be like that. <laughs> we also used to be like this. This is in Abu Nu'im al-Hidiyah. And Hafiz Abu Nu'im has explained himself that this is when they were weaker. They got stronger. So what's strange? If you don't have commentary on that hadith, you would think Abu Bakr saying that I was strong in the past, but now I've got weaker. The Quran isn't affecting me. I used to weep in the past. I'm not weeping now. 
You've made a complete cockle of that statement of Abu Bakr. He meant the complete opposite. Because we used to be like that, meaning we used to shed tears, but then because we progressed, meaning we're controlling ourselves now. Why? And this is why you'll notice in the Sufi Tariqi, the students go berserk. Nothing happens to the Sheikh. So a person finds that strange because why is everybody you know, weeping and the Sheikh's not moved? What makes you think he's not moved? And he goes, well, he's just sitting there. Yeah. I can't see any reaction. Can you see his heart? <laughs> right? So again, this is a spiritual state. So this is why here it's mentioned in the text. Why is all this discussed? Because it brings you close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The shuyukh also say, if anything breaks, it loses value. <laughs> Except the heart. <laughs> Think about that. Anything breaks... Loses value. You got a priceless vase, you break it, it's all over. Game over. Anything breaks, you know, a priceless watch breaks, loses value. Car loses value. What's the exception? The heart. Why? Because Allah Ta'ala wants the heart to be broken. That's why He's designed it like that. Because this is what I created it for, to be broken. Because the value increases. Why? How does the value increase? Because by breaking the heart, you get close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is why the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, those who cannot shed tears, they're damned. That's a hadith. They're damned. <laughs> Meaning you need to pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? Because if the, if the heart, the, the tears are the effects of the heart. If the heart is stone, you're not going to shed tears. But it's not the tears, it's your heart. If the heart is soft, then... It's very easy to shed tears. And what's interesting, when a person can't shed tears, what do they say? They even say he's stone-hearted. <laughs> what's it going to do with the heart? We just made these statements, we don't even realize what we're making sometimes. Why mention the heart? Because the heart is the driving force. So let's look at a few verses. In Surah Al-A'raf, Surah 7, verse 179, Allah the Almighty and Glorious, He says, they have hearts with which they do not understand. So how strange is that verse? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the verse, they've got hearts, but the hearts they can't understand with that heart. There's something wrong with that heart, it can't understand. In another verse, in Surah Al-Hajj, Surah 22, verse 46, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, So that their hearts may understand. So that their hearts may understand. So look at these two verses. In one verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, They've got hearts, but they can't, not, it's not working, there's something wrong with it. You, they can't comprehend. The heart's not comprehending. The other verse says, so that their hearts may comprehend. A third verse in Surah Qaf, Surah 50, verse 37. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, Verily, therein is a reminder for him who has a heart or gives ear whilst he is heedful. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, this Qur'an will benefit the one who has a heart. 
meaning the heart is the place of understanding. So now all of these verses, even in today's day and age, without science, they sound strange. Because you would rightly say that it should be the brain. The verse should say they haven't got brains. They're not using their brains. They're not using their intellects. But again and again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says it's the heart. The heart is not comprehending. Or the heart is comprehending. So now, what have they discovered? <laughs> so subhanallah, a new medical field known as neurocardiology has emerged, which studies the science of the nervous system in the heart. J. Andrew Armour, MD, PhD, is a pioneer in the field of neurocardiology. So now, look at these words. They've, what would they call the science? They've called it neuro, which is to do with the brain, neurons. Cardiology, cardiology is to do with the heart. So even in the name, what are they telling you? This science is to do with the heart and the brain relationship. J. Andrew, he uncovered the presence of neurons in the heart. The same type of cells that are present in the brain. <laughs> so you ask person now who knows the field, where are neurons? He goes two places. He goes two places. He goes one's the brain, correct? Where's the other place where you find neurons? He goes the heart. There are over 40,000 neurons in a human heart. A quantity comparable to a small center of the human brain. So why are neurons in the heart? Neurons is how you understand things. Neurons is what affects your emotions. They used to think it was the brain. Now they've discovered it's the heart as well. What was his conclusions? Armour J. Andrew in his work, Neurocardiology, Anatomical and Functional Principles. He said, The heart possesses its own little brain capable of complex computational analysis on its own. The heart possesses its own little brain capable of complex computational analysis on its own. So now people were blown away by this research because this is blown the lid of the, you know, the pun as they say. Why? Because we thought we understood. Why are they praising this professor? The praise should have gone to Rasulullah. Because the Quran mentions clearly it's the heart. They're not using their hearts. So now, what happens if there's a conflict? So the brain is telling you to take a right and the heart is saying take a left. Can this happen? When the brain sends a command to the heart through the nervous system, the heart does not always blindly obey, but uses its own logic. <laughs> and you don't need, you can experience this. Because what's your, because what's your heart telling you, brother? 
exactly again brother what's his heart business you know I figured the speech but I figured the speech no it's not I figured the speech is science he goes go with your heart <laughs> the research found that the heart was also sending messages back to the brain that the brain not only understood but submitted to <laughs> so when there's a conflict putting it very simply the heart is dominant <laughs> The brain goes, this is not rational. What are you doing? This is not rational. And the heart goes, so what? And then the heart, more often than not, is dominant. So what did they deduce? The following amazing fact. Mm. This is in the book, The Heart Math Solution. There appears to be no need for nerve connections between the heart and the brain. That is why when a person has a heart transplant, all the nerve connections between the heart and the brain are cut. But that does not stop the heart from working when it is placed in the new person's chest. So how interesting is that? The heart and the brain are connected. You have a heart transplant. When a person has a heart transplant, what do many people who've had heart transplant experience strange emotions they, they were saying this because one was very mild mannered he started getting angry and they didn't understand what was going on because this was the remnants <laughs> from the original donor he also something else was being passed on with the heart it wasn't just the flesh and blood if you have a pig transplant god help you right Brain death is described as a condition when brain activity has stopped forever. Hence, when the brain dies, the heart can still live. Look how interesting that is. But when the heart dies, an immediate replacement is found, the brain cannot live. The result, the brain needs the heart for its survival more than the heart needs the brain. Subhanallah, confirming exactly what the Quran is saying. So note, Allah Ta'ala kept saying again and again, their hearts, it's their hearts. They're not using their hearts. Why? Because He's created you. He knows you. It's not the brain, it's the heart. There's something wrong with their hearts. Right? Because the hearts are blind. Allah Ta'ala says, how can the heart be blind? Has it got organs? And it's actually much more to the heart than just this. This is just touching the surface. The Prophet he also mentioned that the eye has eyes. Because you've got two eyes which you see, the outward, and the heart has eyes which sees the inward. Very interesting statement of the Prophet. It's the seat of Iman. Iman is where the heart is where the Iman is. The seat of Iman is not in your brain. Right? So note again all of this. And then obviously we can reverse it to all the non-Muslims. How could any man have known this over 1,400 years ago? Why would he make himself a laughing stock and bypass the brain? Always talking about the heart. That Allah It's not him. It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why the Prophet taught his many du'as sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He would say, Ya muqallib al-qulub, thabbit qalbi ala deenik. Or the turner of hearts, make my heart firm on your deen. Why didn't he say the brain or the controller of the brain? Saw my brain out. He goes, all the turner of hearts. Make my heart firm on your deed. He's saying it again, it's the heart. In with the authentic. 
And also in Sayyid Muslim, the Prophet said that everybody's heart is between the two fingers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He turns them wherever he wishes. Meaning you need to beg Allah ta'ala to keep you firm on your deen. And why is this so important? Because most people don't remain firm. The Prophet said in Timbadi Authentic, most people do not remain firm. So the majority, they don't take these Ex, you know these exhortations seriously because if you were serious you won't you'll remain firm because you take the relevant steps to protect yourself but if most people don't remain firm they haven't taken the relevant steps the prophet sallallahu said in abu na'im al-hiliya authentic hadith the heart iman wears out in the heart just like the washing of a cloth wears out therefore ask your lord to renew iman in your hearts the nature of Iman is to wear out. You have to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to renew Iman. If you don't, you don't get. Right? So this is another aspect. The Prophet also said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, give me lasting Iman. Meaning, let me have Iman and successfully leave the world in a state of submission to you. Many people have it and they lose it. You know, they say it's better to have loved and lost. Never to have loved at all. Or lost at all. What is it? Which one is it? One of them. Bakwas, right? You lose your iman, then what sort of a statement is that? Right? You're worse off. You lost something which was priceless. So note, and just to add this to finish, in Abu Nu'im, our beloved Messenger said, do not go to bed immediately after meals, for it will harden your heart. Avoid any hard or large quantum of Exercise immediately after meals, it will also cause damage. So now, what does the Prophet sound like? He sounds like a, a coach, a health coach. If you go to the gym, this is what they will say to you. They go, don't go to sleep after a meal. It's detrimental to the heart. So you should say by saying, Sadaqta Ya Rasulullah. And he'll say to you, what, what did you say? He goes, our prophet spoke the truth. Goes, what did he say? What well, you just said. Avoid exercise, large physical exercise immediately after meals. It causes damage. Look how interesting. Spiritual damage and physical damage. The prophet is telling you that. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In Ramadan, this is the kindness and mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does he give you as an extra prayer? <laughs> Tarabi. Thank God we got Tarabi. You see them stuffing themselves like Khadijs, right? Knocking it, right? And then they go, oh, what's up? We're going to pray Tarabi. Thank God you got Tarabi because you're going to knock out and then you're going to cause untold harm. So Allah gives you a very light exercise. What happens in Tarabi? His little sweat comes up. <laughs> a little moisture of your blood. And then what? There you go. Allah Taala has given you that gift. <laughs> but we go alu eight. Oh, mashallah. He must have a kajur, right? But I think you need to do thirty-six. Follow Malikifik. So again, was Rasulullah now a physician? And to round it up, what's the famous report in Bukhari and Muslim? The Prophet said, "Indeed, there is in the body a piece of flesh, which if it is sound, the whole body is sound." If it is corrupted, then the whole body is corrupted. Indeed, it is the heart. 
So there's two ways to look at this hadith. One is physical. If the heart goes, your health goes. And the other is spiritual. You might be the you know the most healthiest physical person, but your heart is dying spiritually. Both ways the Prophet was talking. And he used it in both senses in one paragraph. So all I mentioned today was again matters with related to our connection with Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I mentioned that he is as-sattar, i.e. the concealer. And this is his great kindness and mercy that he does this, otherwise we wouldn't be able to function. And then I mentioned uh, why the companions and the Salaf would try to hold their tears. What was the wisdom of that? And then I mentioned why, again and again, the Quran mentions, do they not use their hearts to reflect? And this is, of course, completely in line with what they've discovered. Are there any questions you like that? Subhanallah bihamdi, subhanallah Allahumma bihamdika, ashtulai ilaha illa anta astaghfirika, atubu alayka wa dhibullahi min ashtadhanjim, subhanallah rabbika rabbil izzatayim maisifun, assalamu alayhi wa mursalim, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, bismillahi rabbil alameen, wal asr, inna sallallahi fi khusr, ladhina amulu wa amulu salihan, wa asbil haq, wa asbil sabr, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam.